0: Your very first, your very early adopter customers are not necessarily the same people that you're going to be building and selling and selling to in a year from now, in five years from now, once you have a more fully realized product.
1: Hello a Warm Collisions YYC. Welcome to Miss Katie Underwood. How are you doing, Katie? Mm.
0: Oh, really well. Thanks so much for having me. This is really My exciting. pleasure.
1: I'm super excited. Uh, product, product management, all things product. As, as You know when the world conspires and all of a sudden you're like running into it and having more conversations mm-hmm. about it. So when I had the opportunity to chat with you and you and I had kind of our, our, our pre-call maybe a week mm-hmm. ago, really quite excited to unpack what you do, really understand the nuance, the layers and layers, that w- which is product. And I will yeah. stop even just at saying the word product. Yeah, but yeah. more importantly, let's introduce and then we'll do a quick little Elevator pitch and mm-hmm. bring bring the audience in on what on what we already know is going to be a great conversation. Sure. You are product traction lead at Thin Air Labs, yes. so I will give you the microphone. What is product traction lead at Thin Air Labs? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, so let me tell you a little bit about uh, what the product traction team actually does. So a lot of people might know Thin Air Labs from our funding side. So we have our Thin Air Labs Fund One, kind of the venture capital angle. But a lot of people might not know that we also have two service lines. We have our funding catalyst team. And I believe you're speaking with one of my colleagues from that. team. Team, uh, I am um, in a couple of weeks. Late in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. yeah. Andrew. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Andrew will be able to give you all the details of how they help ventures um, unlock capital and, and non dilutive funding. But uh, the team that I work on is the product traction team, and in a nutshell, we help startups grow. So we offer product thinking, software development services, and really uh, a a wide variety of support to help ventures get to that next stage of their growth. So this can look like product discovery, where we're doing uh, research and prototyping to just kind of solidify ideas and de-risk things before an actual software build gets underway. Uh, It can look like a design and build phase, where we are working with our development team, um, sometimes in conjunction with uh, a ventures development team team to uh, to build software and to put um, products and MVPs in the market and uh, we also have a growth part of our practice which is focused on uh, just really targeted and tactical improvements to key business metrics so this is for the ventures who are uh, already successful in the market they're accelerating their growth and they just need that little push to go even farther so that's that's pretty broad but uh, yeah at a high level we help startups grow
1: and I love what you said, Key, is n- get to the next stage. But mm-hmm. the next stage can be exactly that, the next stage. Yes. From very early to you're halfway along the journey or, you know, halfway. Exactly. Very, are you ever really halfway? Are you ever really there? <laughs> you know, when are you no longer a startup? That, there's a lot of conceptual, like, thoughts we could unpack there. But Definitely. to me, cl- let's clarify a few things. And this is yeah. me clarifying, again, mm-hmm. because when I got on, I, was, I had a bit of a misnomer. I know mm-hmm. Thinner Labs, and I know James, and I know a little bit what you guys yeah. are about. I saw you as rolled in really tightly as part of that. Mm-hmm. But you clarified to me very quickly. No, no, no. We are a business line that also stands alone. Yes, we work alongside and we were born out of that environment. But this is a service that you provide outside the fund. This is a service that you provide to our community.
0: Yeah, exactly that. I mean, really, at Thinner, we like to think of ourselves as ecosystem partners. So we're really focused on accelerating venture growth in Alberta and in Western Canada more broadly. So the services lines are a big part of that. Like, yes, uh, access to capital is massive and, and a huge need for ventures, but so too is is really understanding what it is that you should build next and who is your customer. How can you architect that in a way that's going to be the most successful for you to get to that next stage? And that's really what product traction is all about.
1: I appreciate that. You've done this elevator ride before. You're very concise with your elevator pitch. I appreciate that. (laughs) Because it's easy to go on a meandering meandering elevator ride. I'm like, well, we do this and we do that. Talk to me about just the evolution of product and product management and product marketing. And I hear like, oh, my God, if I could only get somebody with 10 years of product management or product marketing experience. And those are just two I hear often on the show. Uh, Are we a little bit slow to that in Western Canada? Is this a discipline that has been evolved in other sectors, maybe just because of our resources and price taking versus price creating and a lot of things that were the DNA of Western Canada, where maybe this was a discipline that wasn't as focused on as it maybe was in other jurisdictions?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that it is really growing and it's been accelerating over you know the past number of years, particularly as we start to see this kind of startup renaissance and startup boom in Western Canada. And -hmm. the interesting thing about product is that it is a newer discipline when you can compare it to things like classic project management or we compare it to engineering um, in that it is is a cross-functional discipline. It's something that very few people go to school specifically to become a product manager. It's something that people tend to evolve into from other roles. Mm -hmm. And really, at its core, um, product management is about deciding what to build. But more than that, it's about deciding uh, what to build in terms of finding the right thing at the right time for the right customer. So really, really mm, deeply understanding okay. who your customer is and then connecting what problems they're facing in your particular market space uh, to how you can solve those problems in a way that's going to drive your business outcomes. I appreciate it. So what did we call it before we called it this?
1: Because yeah, we've been I doing mean, that forever. Like that's not a new absolutely. concept. Uh, you know, then the old joke, if you, you know, Henry Ford, if you asked them what they wanted, they would have said a faster yep. horse. But the innovative company got ahead of like, we know what you want. Like true customer centricity is knowing what the customer needs almost before they do. So Precisely. ultimately the companies that have won or certainly changed the world at different phases had a degree of that. Is it, did we, did we call it R&D? Like what, what was it categorized as before?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's evolved out of, out of a variety of those things you mentioned. R&D, um, out of software de- development and engineering, out of market research, and kind of uh, customer experience research out of design, it kind of pulls in a bunch of those different facets along with uh, business development and project management because, of course, at the end of the day, your aim is to get product into market and there are also those facets of, you know, how are we going to drive this project to completion? Who are the key stakeholders that we need to pull in? How do we make sure that everybody is aligned on the outcomes that we're trying to drive? As, as a product manager, you're contractually obligated to say outcomes, uh, I think, at least once a day. So now, I, so now I'm good. I won't get fired. <laughs> um, but really, it, it does all come down to that. It's less about you know following strict plans and dots on a on a roadmap. It's more about what is that outcome that we're trying to create, what is the vision that we're driving towards, and what are the kind of discrete steps that we need to take right now, and then soon, and then later to be able to get there for the product, but also for the business that's being built.
1: Mm. I'm asking something that I feel is an obvious, but I'm going to ask it mm-hmm. anyways, how critical it is. You said that how deeply, you know, your customer, mm-hmm. how critical is that? And is that one of yeah. maybe if we're going to also kind of rhyme off some mistakes that yeah. companies make, how often does the customer get let left out of that process? Because I've got a great idea and I know better. Which yep. sounds dangerous, but we've all been there.
0: <laughs> 100%. I'm, I'm only
1: asking for feedback because I want to validate the idea I already believe that's right. That yes. doesn't feel like, like you can all run off the cliff together doing that, but is that run completely contrary to product and product development uh, theology? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really, I think that there's nothing more important than the customer because at the end of the day, that is the person who's going to be using the product or the service that you're putting into development. And they're going to be the ones who are paying the bills, the ones who are, uh, you know, <laughs> at the at the end they of the are day, the ultimate decision maker yeah, they're, they're at the, the end the ultimate, of the day precisely yeah. <laughs> the ultimate decision maker and i think something that's really interesting and something that we work with ventures a lot on on the product traction team is being able to identify who your ideal customer is for your current stage of growth because your very first your very early adopter customers hmm. are not necessarily the same people that you're going to be building and selling and selling to uh building for and, and selling to um In a year from now, in five years from now, once you have a more fully realized uh, product. yeah, And this is something I think that is really common that can trip startups up where you're, you know, as a founder, you have to have that really bold vision, right? You have to be able to articulate this is how this is going to change your life a year from now, 10 years from now. This is how it's going to change the game. But you can't build the 10-year vision on day one. And in fact, it's very dangerous to try to do that because, you know, as everybody knows, you have very finite money and time when you are an early stage venture. And if you're spending, you know, years trying to put something that's perfect, that's going to entice and satisfy that general majority customer, you know, you run the risk of... Spending many, 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 many months and years before you actually get any information about whether that customer is going to interact with the product in the way that you anticipate
1: so when you're working with companies at those different I really thank you for articulating mm-hmm. it the way you did and it's like no yeah. it's not perfect you know show me a perfectionist I'll mm-hmm. show you a procrastinator because mm-hmm. you're yeah. procrastinating getting it out but how important is that MVP approach of like and not being so bought into it needs mm-hmm. to be perfect and it needs to be yeah. this and it, like but this I like what you said about the right product market like product market fit I'm putting my own yeah. words in yeah, but yeah, for exactly. the right stage that you're at yes, that is takes a lot of discipline it sounds great the way you said it but mm-hmm. when you're running fast and you have a big vision mm-hmm. and maybe you just got a funding round and maybe you know someone's funding you to run faster Mm -hmm. that sounds like a very risky like trip and fall scenario (laughs) that could happen there Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think really keeping that iterative mindset is everything. So there, there's a metaphor we like to use about uh, going on a journey through the forest. So you're you're going on this hike, you're going through the forest, you're going to bushwhack. There's no trails, and you can see your destination in the distance, but you're going to lose visibility. You get into the forest. So a dangerous way to approach that would be to just kind of head off, and then two weeks later, you kind of surface above the tree line, and say, hey, I went 100 kilometers in the wrong direction. So a much safer way to take that journey is you have your GPS, and you're constantly measuring where you're at, and then making small course corrections so that you can more or less even if you meander off the path you're more or less staying on that course towards your destination because if you take two weeks and you're 100 kilometers off that's a very dangerous scenario for you and similarly because <laughs> uh, you run out of good, food and you run out of water Yeah, exactly right you got to get rescued <laughs> yeah. by the helicopter so similar not venture, a good time
1: for anyone to make that call not good
0: yeah. you're in the news it's embarrassing um, <laughs>
1: Hikers lost, li- entrepreneurs yeah. lost, but yet found. But yet, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Exactly. <laughs> sorry, I took that, I took that metaphor no, no, too. No, That's no, 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 this I is like this exactly it.
0: But there's, there's a reason that we use that analogy uh, because yeah, it, yeah. it is a really clear indication of, you know, you don't want to wait to know whether your product is going to have traction in the marketplace. So what we always try to do is say, okay, what's the most important question that you need to answer next to get to that next stage of your growth? You know, are you very early and you're just trying to find an idea that has, you know, traction in the marketplace? place that has that virality or have you found that and you have some customers but they're churning out and so you're looking for you know that stickiness to have people come back again and again and depending on what the question is you're asking at that moment what we work with ventures to do is figure out what's the thinnest slice of a solution to that problem that we can build put it in the market and then measure it decide okay how will we know if we've been successful capture some some metrics some analytics and then say okay what did we learn from that Were our assumptions about the way the customer will interact with this correct? Or do we need to pivot? And keeping that experimental mindset that, you know, if you have to pivot, that's not a failure. That's a huge success because you've done it before you were stranded in the woods and need to get rescued. (laughs)
1: <laughs> way to, excellent way to bring it back excellent storytelling <laughs> excellent storytelling. um oh i have so many questions uh, yeah i want to ask about b2b and b2c and the difference mm-hmm. between industrial or direct or consumer-based products but i'm what i'm really curious about and the, the human nature of all this yeah when you work with older generations i don't mm-hmm. know what i don't know how i define older we all talk mm-hmm. about failure as this great thing we're super enthusiastic to fail but yeah. yet most of us have been trained that failure is bad yeah, we got trained in school that about was oh, We celebrate. We 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 celebrate it. We talk about failure until it mm-hmm. happens to you, and it sucks. There's an yeah. event in Calgary, maybe you've been to called Fuck Up Nights, yeah, where all you yeah, do yeah. is get up. I've stood in front of a room of 250 yep. of my closest friends and talked about my biggest failure while people cheering you on, and they're yes. like, oh, "It's so good to hear real stories," which kind of shows that we, we, we create celebrity around it. But then we've got younger generations, and I, I mean, again, I, mm-hmm. I'm not defining younger or older. Mm-hmm. That have have do you see different mindsets around failure if someone is 25 and running a startup versus 50 and and starting up something unless all things are equal they're the same startup but Mm -hmm. they're from different generations and maybe different beliefs or is it just come down to an individual one-to-one and we all we all deal with our demons differently
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i think it really comes down to experience sometimes more than anything right like if you if you've kind of gone through that You know, maybe a traditional sort of academic or career based progression. And like you said, you know, we're all raised to think that uh, failure is bad and should be avoided. And you haven't gone through that moment of saying, oh, I failed, but the world didn't end. This is what I learned from it and being able to kind of see those positive aspects from it. And that's where I really like talking about this in terms of experimentation versus in terms of failure, right? Because if we run an experiment, we say, you know, we think customers are going to do this, we put the MVP in market and they hate it. That's great because now we learned and we learned something not to do we learned something new about the customer and we've made that determination and got that data very early in the game rather than after we've burned through all our runway after two years of a yeah. development cycle so yeah i really think there's it's, no other way to get that data
1: there's literally exactly like we can now ask chat mm-hmm. gpt and say would this product yes. work or not but maybe it's not quite there seems to be my secondary go-to for almost any question now. I'm like, Whoa, what, yeah. would, what would Chad GPT think? Yeah, um, what should I a, make that, for dinner? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Please make me a four-course traditional um, French meal using these yes. ingredients. And it made it and gave me the ingredients. I didn't make it, but I would have. I'm like, that was actually yes. pretty good. That was a pretty good recipe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm learning now that the it's not a it, it's about the prompts. That's when you really know how to that's use the right. tool. That's right, crafting
0: I mean, it. Who, yep.
1: who's, the, who's got the best prompts is becoming... It's so yes. funny how quickly we adapt. Anyways, I apologize for anyone going, what, what are they talking about now? <laughs> I I appreciate the experience of how I learned and how I gone through that and realized what I believed or what I didn't believe when you go through Mm -hmm. it in real life and I like what you said about how thin of a slice can we take what can we learn here okay we learned it great and you didn't say go to market with a finished product you said go to market with an MVP and if we needed to learn this we learned it in a week Mm-hmm. not in two years or a month or whatever the case may be. And then we pivoted and we went back because there's no other way to do that. Exactly. Does that, that journey, do you see a lot of difference in that journey when you're dealing with a direct to consumer product that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say for the sake of the conversation is maybe a little less complex. It's a bit more transactional, but you mm-hmm. still need large scale market adoption to be successful versus what might be a B2B industrial mm-hmm. or something that's more complex. I mean, you're arguably potentially solving a problem. The client doesn't even know they have, mm-hmm. and that could go for both. Do you see a lot of difference in this approach? approach or is it the same just with different links of road on each piece?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. And I think that I think that there's definitely commonalities between both cases and I think it's more about how you how you articulate the problem that's being solved. I think when we're working with larger organizations, there tends to be there's more moving pieces, right? And there there can be uh, less direct understanding, like you said, of that this is the problem that needs to be solved. But that same kind of piece of customer education and kind of customer awareness also happens, I think, in direct to consumer where you know we, we sort of talk about the forces of progress in the market. There's the forces that are pushing people away from their current way of doing things yeah. because their current situation has some detriment or some flaw that's so bad as pushing them. And then there's also the pull, right? Where maybe you weren't thinking of moving outside of your current comfort zone, but you see something that, you know, is really appealing. You see a better way of doing something that entices you. So I think that the way we kind of uncover those forces of progress is maybe different for, for the two models and the way we might articulate the problem. But at the end of the day, it's really, it really comes down to the same kind of the same core concepts right like what is the what's the next gate that you need to hit to get to your next stage of growth be that you know stickiness virality uh scalability or so forth and what is the information that you need to get that's going to make you feel confident to be able to to progress with that
1: if you had to pick moving away from a pain as mm-hmm. as a motivation or moving mm-hmm. towards that there's got to be a better way or I think there is a better way if you had to pick mm-hmm. one or the other do you have a preference yeah
0: Ooh, like, like for myself personally, or as, sure. as a yes. person building yeah, no, yeah,
1: What? Yes, yes, yeah. the, yes to both those questions. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I, I think for myself, I'm definitely uh, a move away from pain person, you know, okay. I uh, inertia is real. And, and we see this all the time in every different industry segment, right? People get ingrained in the way that they are doing things. And it has to be something like really cool and shiny sometimes to entice you away. Yeah, so yeah. I'm definitely a, okay, I'm finally fed up with this. Like the, uh, you know, the situation I mentioned about fixing my internet, it's, uh, it got to that moment. I was like, okay, the pain is bad enough. It's time to fix it. Um, the, the podcast, uh, listeners won't know about the story we told before the, uh, before the, uh, <laughs> fixing, the to fix the internet. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think we right. can all
1: really, we can all relate to that. And so often, even when we do competitive work with our, with our clients, mm-hmm. your biggest obstacle is just status quo. We're just, yes. uh, It's not that bad. Like, I'm sure there's a better way. Like, and and we live in a world where there's arguably there's almost a better way for everything now. Or certainly we're getting presented. But I love the concept of a way or towards. Am I moving towards something better, or am I moving away from something shitty? (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. And honestly, (laughs) sometimes the best uh, the best product concepts can be something that's both. Right. So you've identified a real problem in the market, and you always want to identify the real problem for the customer. Like, if no one has the need for what you're selling, if no one has that problem that you're delivering a solution to, it, it doesn't matter how cool or shiny it is, no one's going to buy it. So there has to be that genuine need in your, your ideal customer segment. But then if they can also see the benefits and see how this is going to improve things and something really interesting with that, uh, that I want to kind of circle back on, uh, to what I said earlier about how your early customers, not necessarily your later customer, mm-hmm. uh, those, those forces kind of come into play. So your early adopter customer, the one who's going to be engaging with your MVP, that Pro- the profile of that person is they're very they're very innovative they either have a current burning need that is so great or they're the person who they're like i want the new cool thing i want to experience it yeah, i want yeah. to be first they're very early care. on, the, cur- on yeah. the curve on
1: the upswing yeah yeah
0: that's right i don't care if it's not fully finished i don't care if the user interface is a little janky it doesn't matter to me and that contrasts with the general adopter who's like yeah yeah i could be convinced to try the new solution but it has to solve all my needs it has to be user-friendly it has to look beautiful so you want to know who you're building for at each of those stages
1: and that would be very different if you know an, a single individual in their life wanting to try a new piece of tech is mm-hmm. very different than I'm at an organization where I know what we've got to go through and I know how many yes. sign-offs I have to get. And sometimes, yes. the, you know, that that same individual, I always appreciate. There is no universal truth because you can be mm-hmm. multiple selves. <laughs> you yes, can be the absolutely. early adopter self in your personal life, and you go to work, and you're like, Ugh, I've learned that getting something new here is not what we do. And maybe you wouldn't even stay absolutely. if that was if it was so mm-hmm. against your values. But I do appreciate that some organizations and. We have a city full of very large organizations that have yeah. really strong governance. They have a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, human environmental safety concerns based on what we are built on in this province. Mm-hmm. Throwing up something new just because it's the new idea, the risk profile sometimes just doesn't also allow that to happen too, right? Yes, mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And And, and
1: respecting and me. I heard the other day someone said to me, don't fall in love with the problem, fall in love with your customer's version of the problem (laughs) because it's not really your problem. And I like that. I love that little shift at the end because we've all heard the other one, but they're like, no, that's not actually what you're doing if you're building something new. And I I like that a lot.
0: I really love that. And that's really why there's no substitute for speaking to your customer. We do that a lot on product Mm -hmm. traction. When we're doing idea validation, we want to go out and speak to people and we want to ask questions that aren't, you know, would you buy this? Yes or no? Because that's sort of, (laughs) you know, people people will always tell you what you want to hear and there's, there's There's a famous uh, metaphor in in product management where people talk about uh, going to the gym. So if you ask someone, how often do you go to the gym? You'll probably say, "Oh, you know, I, I go three times a week." But if you ask them, "How often did you go to the gym last week?" They'll tell you, <laughs> "I didn't go." So it's it's really about uh, you know past behavior being not necessarily predictive of future behavior, and and kind of trying to tease out uh, what people's actual underlying problems are and the way that they they truly articulate the problem versus what they think you want to hear. And it's it's very complex. I mean, it could go into and this often and when they're of not
1: always sure themselves, like yeah, the psychology absolutely. of it. The psychology of it is what makes it interesting, but also incredibly yes. complex. It's yes. a Ruby, it's a Rubik's cube, but not the, just the four by four. It's the bigger. It's the bigger. That's one. right.
0: Yeah, yeah. The twelve by twelve.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and the, the argument is we we as consumers don't always know either. Back to the right. I wanted. I would ask for a faster horse. I didn't know there was another option. <laughs> That's right um talk to me a little bit about just the reality of like okay we've got people listening that are on this mm-hmm. journey with people that have maybe worked yeah. with you people that are like oh just, well, i just want to know what product management even is which we've touched on mm-hmm. what are yeah. some of the things that like you talked about stages let's go early stage like maybe yeah. maybe we're just coming off the, the classic good old back of the napkin uh, 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 comparison mm-hmm. but what do you first run into what are the first things what are the first maybe even talk about the pitfalls too because we all want to know where sure. the we all want to know where the landmines are so we don't step on them <laughs> and now a message from one of our valued partners Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For US, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad, but then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that, where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in ending slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Thank you for listening, and now back to today's good old-fashioned chat.
0: So I think one of the biggest things that we find, particularly in very early stage greenfield ventures, where there is no product yet, you know, someone has an idea, they have a concept, maybe they have a team around them, maybe they don't. Uh, I think the biggest uh, pitfall that can occur there is just wanting to get on with building the thing. So people have the idea for the thing and it's really cool and it's going to be amazing and they want to just get on with building that. And what we always like to kind of take a step slow back and Slow it down,
1: with, which, is, right. which is painful for most people yes. that would find themselves and like, let's just do it, slow down. Oh, you don't get me. I don't want to work with you.
0: Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And what we always want to uncover is is the underlying why. Like, okay, why do you want to build this? Why are you passionate about this? Because I mean, starting a venture is incredibly hard. Like no one does this because they think it's going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be, you know, a if casual they do th- if lifestyle. If they do think
1: that, they'll find out really quickly. They'll not quickly true.
0: learn yeah. exactly. So, you know, why why is this something you're so passionate about solving? What are the What are the things that you're seeing in the market that are leading you to believe that there's there's a problem here to be solved? And then we start to break down some of those pieces. Who is the customer? What are the characteristics of a given person that would make them a better or a worse customer for this idea? We want to talk mm. to those customers. We want to understand how they're currently solving. The problem that that we're tackling, you know, what are the current tools and, and technologies they're using? What are the processes? Maybe there is no technology uh, that solves this problem currently, and uh, then we start to, you know, really start to break down. Okay, what are the component pieces of this problem, and how can we slice it so that we get that early validation? And and in this moment, it's, uh, you know, I'm talking really a lot from the product side because that's where my focus area is. Mm-hmm. But the effort at this moment is extremely cross functional. So we. want to bring in the engineering team at this moment, we want to bring in the design team, want to work really closely with the founder, because they're the expert on their business at the end of the day. And we find that by getting all of these diverse voices in the room, when we're understanding and breaking down the problem, it's incredibly valuable. And again, saves you time and money, because you're decreasing those number of cycles between like, okay, product did some stuff over here. Let's talk to engineering. Oh, it turns out that that's that's a really hard problem to solve. There's no tech to solve that yet. Okay, we got to go back to the drawing board. Having all of those voices when we're doing the idea validation is is so fundamental
1: getting away from the silo, which makes sense yeah, yeah. oh we're super excited hey we can't even build that <laughs>
0: exactly exactly
1: are you finding which is the onslaught of technology and availability and access to mm-hmm. technology and we're joking about GPT 3 that's just one yeah. thing do you find that this process is also uh, is there more tools available for entrepreneurs and for like early startups idea phase to tap into resources that just weren't available a couple years ago
0: Definitely. Absolutely. Like the rise of low code and no code technologies is. Yeah, I love
1: that. Makes me so excited as a non technology person.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's it's really, really valuable for things like an MVP build where this isn't going to be the final version. Right. And I think that's a a pitfall that people run into sometimes, too. I mean, we've already kind of touched on this of wanting to build the final version on day one. So, you know, the goal of an MVP is not necessarily to be the foundations of your eventual product. It might be or it might be something that just you do a couple of cycles on, you get some validation and then you decide how to move forward.
1: Yeah, the best thing the maybe the best thing you ever did was not go forward with that original idea.
0: <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: I mean, defined by what you say no to, not what you say yes to. Yeah, that's right. So move at this point what role does the, the, how much are we validating the financial health or sense of this idea? Mm-hmm. Saying like, great, yeah. this is awesome, but you know what? I don't, is this a big enough problem? Do we have a, is our total addressable market? Do you get involved on in that side of it to really look at the financial viability as well as, you know, I guess that all ties back to, is mm-hmm. this solving a real problem? Does the customer care and is it even viable to build this this thing, whatever this thing might be?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a huge part of the, the validation and the work that we do with ventures to uh, experiment with different, business models, different pricing packages, Uh, and this is another thing that I think can be really challenging when you're very passionate about a particular product idea. Uh, to kind of get away from that idea of just the product and remember that you're also building a business. So you Mm. can have the coolest widget, the coolest thing. Everybody loves it. It's super viral. Everyone's talking about it. But if you can't monetize that, and if you can't monetize that in a way that's actually scalable, I mean, consider, you know, you you already mentioned a total addressable market. So say you have, you know, something's very city of Calgary specific. And you're like, we're going to sell this app to every single citizen of Calgary for a dollar. You're like, amazing, that's you know $1.5 million. That seems like a lot of money. But if that's the lifetime value of your business, that's not a business. It's yeah. just a product. And your product could be a component of your business. But it's really important to think about that at those very, very early stages. It's Because you know, it's really not a matter of like, you know if if you build it, they will come and then we'll figure it out later. How you architect that solution is going to be in large part dependent on the business model that you are targeting, right? Like, are you going for a SaaS model? Are you going for uh, direct sales? All of these things are going to play into how you actually develop and deliver that offering. And it's it's much easier and more cost-effective for you to build with that in mind from day one versus trying to kind of bolt it on later. And now maybe the way that you're trying to craft your business model doesn't mesh with the way you've crafted your product.
1: I really like what you said about really understanding what type of business, because that is going to affect mm-hmm. your evaluation. It's going to affect how you, Absolutely. what category you get put in when customers go, oh, you're in this yeah. category. So therefore you need to go through this buying group to even get access to our, to mm-hmm. our, you know, be able to be bought by this organization. So interesting. Do you find a challenge? Like obviously the last handful of years, there's mm-hmm. been an incredible rise on how much we value purpose-based organizations mm-hmm. and like, and save Definitely. the world stuff. And I'm not saying that snidely in any way, but. But sometimes saving the world isn't financially viable in every instance. Do you run into that a lot or maybe more so? Or do you see a rise of, and I love it that so many people are getting really bought into like, I want to solve this big problem because it'll make the world better. But actually, it's not financially viable. So how's that conversation Ah. look?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's a really challenging conversation because I mean, on our team, we're also very passionate about about the eco- ecosystem and being about good good citizens of the city and of of the world and using technology for good and, and all of those things. But you're absolutely right that in some instances that can be in conflict with something that is actually monetizable. And I think that the the thing that we try to um, work on with our ventures who are in this situation is. Uh, being able to find something that is a a problem for a group of people who are willing to pay that either directly or as a side benefit has that social value. So a really great example of this was a project that we did uh, last year with uh, Sean Crump of Included by Design on his app Crucial, and I think you've had Sean on the program. I have, before. yeah. No, I love yeah, what he's Sean, doing, and I love I love Sean's his passion great. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and this was a challenge that they faced right where they uh, they're developing this uh, map. Of accessible restaurants and and uh, and breweries and other uh, kind of social locations for people with disabilities to be able to fully participate in the community and and have you know a reputable reliable source of information of which locations are actually accessible and that's something that we had to work on together in the course of that project. How can we actually make this a business while still serving the underlying why of why Sean and his team felt it was so important to develop this application in the first place. And uh, as we worked together, we started to dig into what are the problems that the restaurant industry faces. So Crucial itself is kind of a two-sided marketplace, right? You have the restaurants on one side, you have the user base on the other side. Both sides need to be there in a sufficient quantity in order for that platform to be successful. So the need on the user side was clear, but the users are the, not the ones who are paying for this service. Yeah. It's a free service. So we had to really- really. dig into the needs of the restaurant industry. And we interviewed many, many restaurant owners, uh, front of house managers, uh, people at restaurant groups. And we started to uncover that really the biggest concerns in the restaurant industry are not accessibility. Um, Obviously they think it's, it's valuable and they would like to be able to be more accessible, but the bottom line is it's hard for them to make their payroll. They don't have enough covers at night. It's hard for them to retain good staff. So we started to kind of pivot from, purely an accessibility angle to, hey, this is a way for you to attract a huge base of uh, what the research shows are very loyal customers. If someone who has an accessibility consideration has a great experience at a restaurant, the data shows that they will be, I think, five times more likely to become a regular of that location than a member of oh, uh, the yeah. average popu- population. So it's really about finding those ways where rather than kind of just beating your head against the wall, like, well, we know this is good, so people should pay for it. You know, kind of being a little bit more realistic about the different forces in the market and the different concerns that uh, the different elements of the population who are going to be interacting with your your uh, your product have and finding a way to make it appealing to both sides without, you know, selling your soul, if you will, and without losing the original intention of the socially good endeavor that you set out to create.
1: That was a great example. And I did, we had a talk about that. And even as I was thinking as a marketer, I'm like, oh man, how do you, yeah. like I get it. And quote unquote, there's no one's going to say that's not a good idea. Like there's no yeah. one's going to go. That's terrible. Why exactly. would we provide that information to these gr- this course. group of individuals? But as a business, you very quickly go, absolutely, I believe in that. And now quickly, I have a balance sheet. I have a and I have reality, yeah. especially after the last couple of years, restaurants have that's been, right. you know, it's, it's been a roller coaster. It's been so coaster. hard. Yes. Hard. I, I was very glad to not be in that business. And I appreciate yes. the, that Calgary seems to be having a resurgence in our in our mm-hmm. restaurant community now. But that's really vital to understand what is the core problem because it's mm-hmm. so obvious and so easy to get behind But that's yes. where the focus group says everyone believes in it. But the reality is who's going to pay for it That's and right. that's where it can fall. That's where it can it can fall down because you're not digging in at the right point Exactly very, no, I really appreciate that, and what what a great way to bring attention. Is mm-hmm. that did that project go forward? I don't know. If, can we talk about that on here? I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, they're they're. Because uh, I haven't talked in... to
1: Sean for a while, so I, I've kind of lost track of where that's at.
0: <clears throat> yeah, the project is is still in in active work, and uh, awesome. Yep. Yeah yeah they're still working away which is really exciting and that was that was a really gratifying uh project for us to be able to work on totally with Mm. with his group because sean's incredible and his group is incredible and uh just really nice to do something that's very meaningful for for the city of calgary and for you know real people in the community so that's that's really at the heart of what we love to do on product traction
1: oh and the the credibility and this is an individual that's is living is living the problem he's trying to solve mm-hmm. which i really yeah, appreciate you can't look at him and say oh this isn't a credible problem who are you yeah. to be an expert in this problem <laughs> you are 100 the expert in it um so curious now the business guy in me is going Mm-hmm. how do you run your business how do you quote how do i work mm-hmm. with you i call you up and yeah. go i've got katie i have the idea i am go- yes. i am going to change the world you go yeah, okay you tyler are. that sounds yes. great and yeah, exactly. <laughs> you respond just like that oh this is where katie the salesperson comes out no i'm curious like how do you engage with individuals like again mm-hmm. the nuts and bolts of this is a how long is a piece of string kind of question mm-hmm. this is tough and i know in our world like oh, how much does a website cost or how much does a campaign yeah. cost I'm like well, i don't know who you're talking no, to it depends yeah completely uh, you know, my creative director he always said well how long is a piece of string was is answer to every one of every I time like you ask a budget yeah, question. Yes. Um how do you approach that as as a business, as the product traction team, to look at an organization is it based on stage where they're going, how difficult it is it for you to kind of work up a uh, bring together a scope of work? Mm-hmm. So I'm getting really into the weeds with this question. No, this
0: is this but is great. Really to it,
1: understand how yeah. it happens in real life. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. It, it and it is very challenging because we we really believe deeply in seeing every venture as the unique individual, you know, group of contributors that they are. We don't mm. like to do packaged offerings or one-size-fits-all solutions because <laughs> yes. obviously, you know, this is a startup, right? You're doing things that no one has done before. So there is some some uncertainty and some challenge inherent in that when we're trying to figure out how to put together, you know, a, a package of services that's going to support that venture in the best way. So we always we always want to approach everything that we do with Uh, a deep understanding of the why and and a deep empathy for the founder and the problem that they're trying to solve. So everything always starts with a conversation. We want to understand, you know, what is your business? What's your idea? What are you struggling with right now? Because that can be very different, not only based on the stage that you're at, but based on, uh, you know, your background and and the nature of your business as a founder. You know, maybe you're someone who has a deep, deep domain expertise in a particular area, but you don't really have that that product and business development um, Mm, component of your experience. Or conversely, maybe you're someone who's an incredible engineer you're like, I can build the thing. I know I have all of the technical expertise I need. But uh, you know, I need someone to help me with design. I need someone to help me with product. Or maybe you have the ideas, and you know, all of that kind of product development side is very well fleshed out. But you don't—you're not a technical person. You don't have developers. You don't have that skill set. So we want to understand what are the what are the gaps that you're seeing right now? What are the challenges that you're facing? You know, maybe uh, ventures already have product and market, and they're they're looking for help with a driving a specific metric or overcoming a specific challenge that they have. And then, based on those conversations, we'll uh, put together uh, a, a proposal of services based on you know what we think that we can put together as a team to be the most effective. And it's important to um, call out too that when we're working with these ventures, we really believe in a close collaboration. We're we're not arm's length consultants. You know, they don't send us a problem and we go away and work on it and bring it back. We really mm-hmm. serve as extensions of their teams working closely together uh, so that we can make sure that everything we do is in service of their vision and that we're keeping really, really closely aligned on the outcomes that we're trying to drive. So we have software developers on our team, we have product managers, we have designers, and based on the nature of the work, then we'll uh, put together a team for uh you know uh it it depends duration of course of course
1: but you use a discovery model to really understand you know you kind of have i appreciate you don't have a menu but you also understand this is the stage this is the problem so therefore here's where we can insert ourselves to create the most value
0: that's right. And and it's about pattern matching too, right? Even if we've never worked in a particular mm. industry domain before, or maybe, you know, in a, in a particular space, we can say, okay, this is the type of problem they're facing. This is the type of the business model and bring together expertise from, you know, both our work at Thanera and from past lives uh, to, to craft a good solution.
1: Here's a random, we're going way down a rabbit hole. So you can yeah. tell me to, you can tell me to screw <laughs> off if you want. Um, Yours is a service-based business. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. We've been talking
1: a lot about the word product, which implies something different. So Mm -hmm. when you, I guess, who do you go to? (laughs) Maybe this is the Mm. weird part of the question. Who coaches you on the business that you're putting together? And how, that's a bit of of, of an off-the-corner question because sometimes you're like, which hat am I wearing? Am I coaching my own Mm -hmm. decisions here? And versus... A service-based business, even just product, because you know you live in a world where you're working on product. And am I clear to think of a product as more of a thing versus a flexible set of services? Which is when I think of a service or more of a consulting approach. And maybe just clarify me on my own terms here. So I just asked you seven questions at once. I realize I just did that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll try to take them one at (laughs) a time. Sorry. So (laughs) thinking on the fly there,
1: Katie. Thanks for thanks for thanks for playing along with the host. Yeah, no,
0: (laughs) absolutely. Uh, I I mean I do think that we tend to use product to mean. it's kind of interchangeable, right? It could be a product. It could be a physical thing. It could be a digital product. Yep. It could be more of a service. Like, you know, you're providing a SaaS model. Typically, uh, the work that we do is more in the digital space. So we tend okay. to be doing things that have some kind of a software development or, you know, technology component, uh, we also um you know as you alluded to like we ourselves are we ourselves are a startup Thin air labs uh is you know relatively new as a company mm-hmm. we're figuring things out as we go along we're figuring we're always trying to maintain that experimental mindset and iterate on the way that uh we're right delivering our offerings so that we can be more effective and i mean i think that that's actually a, a big part of kind of our special sauce is that not only are we working with founders to <laughs> achieve their vision like we're living it you know we're we're also uh in the trenches together so
1: Which I do appreciate that and again the shoemaker's kids we all know the joke or the, yeah, the jokes that exactly. you spend so much time doing it for others and appreciating that there are different nuances you know in a, a product selling even as a marketer selling a product mm-hmm. you know the values and the features and benefits tend to be a little bit more consistent or they can be and in relevance to an ideal customer but services move around because mm-hmm. well let me customize like you said like I'm going to listen to a discovery and three people can I can chat with and come away with a different set of service offerings because it's mm-hmm. a different they, they need different things that's a bit trickier to scale and to, and to grow because it does tend to move around a little bit. And it's there's also the trap of being a marketing company and mm-hmm. going, well, yeah, let's, you know, what, what we need a website. Well, what kind of a website for who, what's mm-hmm. it going to do? And, yes. you know, it, it moves around, even though at the end result, we all know what a website is, mm-hmm. but beyond that, there are no two websites are really even the same.
0: <laughs> Definitely. And, and I think that you touched on something interesting with, with, you know, like it could go in so many different directions and, and what could it be? And uh, one of the things that's really important to us on our team is um, one of our big values is the passion to independence and creating the path to independence for ventures love it so we we never want to be in a situation where ventures are beholden to us like oh well you were our product team for three months and now we don't know what to do we need you for everything or you built this application for us and we need you to maintain it forever that's not the kind of ecosystem growth that we're trying to create what we like to do is join with ventures work with them very very closely as um you know, as extensions of their team for a finite duration and then make sure that everything that we're doing in the course of that engagement, be it product thinking, software development, designs, whatever the case may be, is something that they can then take and run with independently as a business. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We love repeat business. We love when ventures want to work with us again and again, but we always want it to be because they have chosen to, because they appreciate our approach to doing things and we're going to work on the next hard problem together. But really, at the end of the day, it's all about setting the ventures we work with on that path to success.
1: I really appreciate that. You and I chatted kind of in our, pre, in our pre-call mm-hmm. about the golden handcuffs and how a lot of companies yeah. got caught in these traps. Um, you build something on a certain platform, not even realizing as a founder, I had this happen to me early in business, i all of a sudden like, mm-hmm. well, no, you can take your website, but it's our code. I'm like, what do you mean? It's, yeah, you know, precisely. I'm assuming, do you still see that or are we we the proverbial we Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, are we becoming more savvy and are companies of being able to because i see that as a pitfall i see that as a trap Mm -hmm. i see it as like you know maybe if you knew it was happening but it's all of a sudden when you get surprised by it you're like well wait a second i didn't realize that me working with you was going to lead to me working with you forever (laughs) i didn't realize we were actually getting married no one told me that do you see less of that or is that still something that you you help companies suss out to really avoid that what i'll call a trap
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it can still happen definitely and i think it's it's really about um, having that open and honest communication and, you know, because the our startup economy is a bit newer in Calgary and we have mm, so many first-time okay. founders, I think that, you know, it can be a risk, but it's also a great opportunity to learn from each other, right? If you have ex- expertise in a certain area, being able to, you know, consult with someone, pull in someone, you know, there's a lot of great momentum that's happening in the community with things like platform and so forth uh, to be able to kind of learn from each other's both successes and failures. And I think something that um, we always try to do when we're working with ventures is to uh, yeah, to just like be very upfront about what some of those trade-offs are because it's all it's all about trade-offs right you know you can decide to build with a certain technology and maybe it's cutting edge but six months down the line it's not being supported anymore right or you can uh decide to target a certain market making certain assumptions and then COVID hits right And now restaurants are, are closed so there, there's all of these things where obviously you know no one could have anticipated that restaurants would be closed for so long as they were but uh we always try as part of our idea validation to do that component of kind of risk, risk discovery and risk mitigation and looking ahead to what those kind of pitfalls and challenges could be so that when we're coming down to make decisions about what to build and how to build it. Uh, you know, some of those known unknowns are on the table early on.
1: I really just like the concept of trade-offs. Hey, it's not right or wrong or good or bad. It's like, well, if you do this, you lose this. If to get this, you have to give up that. And really appreciate it because that implies a very informed consent discussion yes. versus like that's bad don't do that. Well what do you mean why? Mm-hmm. Well what, what why? Well because then you get bias and you get your belief. How do you mm-hmm. lay out the information and ultimately still allow that the people you're working with to be active as part of that that like oh okay yeah that makes sense to us we're willing to do that because maybe it'll Definitely. increase speed, maybe it'll save a bit of cost. But mm-hmm. hey, re- extrapolate the graph out far enough and sometimes we're bad at doing that when we're really busy and we get caught in the moment. Definitely. <laughs> Looking into the future is difficult at <laughs> the best yes, of times. yeah,
0: it's hard. If we could figure that out it'd be so easy. But it's really <laughs> but Then about, everyone you know, would do it yeah. and
1: we'd lose <laughs> advantage
0: (laughs) right (laughs) but yeah it's it's really about keeping keeping focus on what that next question is right like what what is the why that we're is driving us and what is the next question we're trying to answer and you know relying on that can sometimes make those trade-off conversations easier because if we're looking at okay you know well, what about this what about that 5 years down the future well there's not going to be a 5 years down the future for this company if we don't solve this problem today so kind of getting <laughs> getting really focused and always bringing it back to those fundamentals I think can be helpful
1: which I, I love it. You, your passion for this is like showing out in spades. Oh,
0: so <laughs> I when you think that. about
1: when you, hundred oh, percent. I love talking about people that love, and I also love how fast you talk. I think I've told you that before. Yes. Finally, yeah. <laughs> someone who like people are going to be listening. They're going to try to not speed up this episode. They're going to slow it down That's just right, to try to listen time. to us. Yeah, hundred um, percent. What gets you the most excited about what you're seeing in our ecosystem? Just like obviously you're working at front line with a lot of ventures, is seeing an increase. Are you seeing more cool ideas? You're seeing more people kind of show up here. What What gets you really jazzed about what's going on? On. I love being pro Calgary. So that's the best way to it's yeah. a great way to wrap this To wrap this conversation.
0: Absolutely. I mean, this is this is a really special question to me because I'm a born and raised Calgarian. My mom is a born and raised Calgarian. So I'm a second generation Calgarian. And I've very intentionally chosen to live here and build a career here. So I just think that all of the that's momentum that we're seeing in the tech ecosystem is really incredible. And the amount of uh, kind of collaboration and sharing of ideas and, uh, the the strong belief that cross-functional teams and cross-industry teams can be so effective and so powerful. I really love all of that, and I I just feel like we've uh, we're starting to hit that critical mass of yeah, momentum in the ecosystem, and there's so much positive energy that it's just such an exciting time to be a part of the tech scene.
1: Uh, I I love it. i, I, was, I was a multi-generation Calgary, and those are rare. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Rice, yeah, incredibly, yeah. incredibly rare. But even when I started the podcast three years ago, I was just so unaware. Mm-hmm. And I talked to people, and it seemed fragmented. Like I talked to someone, they're mm-hmm. over here, and I talked to someone else, they're over here. And now, yeah. I the though that Venn diagram is overlapping all over the yes. place. And I do believe that collaboration and that willingness to help each other, and like, hey, yeah, no, maybe this isn't right for me, but let me introduce you to somebody. I would argue that is one Absolutely. of our superpowers here, and be like, oh, it's like that everywhere. I'm like, nah, I've worked mm-hmm. and lived in toronto i've worked i grew up in mm-hmm. montreal it is in your side your network and the people you know but here you can do that with people that you just meet and that Definitely. is i think a big differentiator and i love the energy that's happening around the city and certainly in the tech ecosystem especially a little diversity agreed. is just never a bad strategy <laughs>
0: agreed
1: <laughs> katie amazing chat i love it you and i can chat for days and we probably will chat again if, if you'll if you'll if you'll if you'll join me oh, six I'd months ago what's happening now but yes. uh, what what's the best way and not how to get a hold of you that's we mm-hmm. live in a world where everybody can figure that out what's your preferred yeah. what what's your favorite way to get communicated with
0: yeah um people can feel free to reach out to me on linkedin or uh, if you're curious about checking out uh, Product Traction Services, uh, you can go to uh, thinnerlabs.ca and just follow the link to the services offerings, and then you can find out more about uh, working with our team there. If that's something that you think might be able to help accelerate your business, yeah,
1: you've got a couple good. You got Athenian on here, provision. Yeah, no, I always take yeah. it. Everyone's, I always do it just the right amount of creeping, not too much. Um, yeah, no, but t- 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 Yeah, I was just the just the normal <laughs> nod, right on the edge of the weird amount. Uh, but uh, you guys have a great website and you have got good information on there. So thinnerlabs.ca, go check it out. And and uh, yeah, also on uh, on LinkedIn. There's so many. It's yeah. so easy to get a hold of people these days. It's so easy.
0: It's fantastic. I almost feel like it's it. silly
1: to even asking, but I, I'd rather the. How do you prefer? Because problem yeah, is like absolutely. I got somebody who chats with me on LinkedIn, then I got three people on WhatsApp, four on DM. I'm like. Right. It, it's like you it's have a to lot. do a, like a scan of the dashboard just to catch all seven yes. or eight forms of communication yes drowning <laughs> and drowning in drowning in, in, the, in the means but katie it was an absolute pleasure having you on i love the work oh, you're thank doing you so and much. love the positive impact you're having in our city so thank you
0: oh thank you so much for having me it was a real pleasure thanks tyler